Hey everyone, this is Pal, um, also known as Pal Astrology on Twitter, and I'm here with Mo. And today's episode is going to be focused on the Scorpio Deccans. But as always, before we jump into that, let's talk about the current astro weather. Um, I think everyone's been paying attention to the fact that Saturn, Jupiter, and Mercury all stationed direct over the last couple of weeks. And, you know, the stationings, um, Mo, you actually tweeted about this. I'm sure you have a lot to say about it. I I, I think it's true, um, like what you said, that I think the stationings can be way more intense and rocky than the actual retrograde itself so i don't think it was instant relief um though some people some people on astro twitter did say they felt some of that instant relief but we are coming i mean um i think jupiter out of all of the three is going to take over the longest i think to um start really moving forward i think saturn has already um same with mercury but what do you think mo how are you feeling after these stations oh my god i felt that the station was worse than the actual like retrograde because like don't get me wrong like there was mishaps and like drama and you know tech not working or like uh what have you but like i had some funny like lab snafus so like one of my lab mates who gave me mice um she told me the wrong genotype of the mice so one station thing was that i had to re-inject them because i thought that they had one activated construct but they didn't and so <laughs> that was a funny like thing i didn't realize like during because what happened was like three weeks before when mercury went retrograde i was actually injecting these mice so it's funny how like you know during the actual retrograde i'm not thinking i'm just like oh okay and then i find out oh did you really inject the right thing and it's like no nope. <laughs> <laughs> uh on top of that i've had plumbing issues that was a station event um that i wouldn't have known about so uh yeah like it was the station and not the retrograde for me so Wow. Wow. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I have two planets in my natal chart stationing, so I agree. <laughs> I think the stationing can really bring a lot of intensity. Um, are any of those planets your time lord or no? Like right now? Uh, let me think. So Saturn is my time lord from the sect light. And then... Um, I was in a Libra month, so, like, this was all really loud for me. Yeah, I, um, Jupiter's my time, my lord of the year, and as the stationing was happening, I finally got a verbal offer from a job, which is great news, and, but it's taken a long time to get the written coming through, (laughs) I think right before Mercury stationed direct, I was getting a message from them, you know, because they were constantly trying to keep keep me in touch, keep um, keep in touch with me, which is good. But they were, you know, they had sent me an update that they were having problems with the HR like online system. (laughs) So that was very just like typical Mercury. But then even after like like at this point, like all three planets had stationed direct, like I still hadn't gotten the written offer until just like this past Friday um and then when and then when i got it there was still like 
um, when I opened it, I still didn't see the offer letter in there. There's a bunch of other paperwork. And so I still had to like email HR and said, like, I, I still don't see it. So they finally uploaded it and I'm finally able to view it. But it took like, it took way longer than I think either side was expecting. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, so uh, my university decided to tear down our animal facility in the medical science building um, during a pandemic when mm. you know people's research has been slow and so part of this like resolution period has been like moving like getting ready to move and finding out the details of the move right so like mm -hmm. that's another like side effect i've mm -hmm. been experiencing Ooh. um sorry i thought you were still gonna say more after that but never oh, mind no no no, no. Um, that's just it <laughs> yeah well let's let's talk about what's coming up in terms of transit so the first thing is that actually it's this saturday mars is going to enter scorpio after what feels like forever in libra i know i tweeted that because i'm personally very very over mars being in libra libra's in my sixth house and so for me, it's been, it has been illness and it has been injury. It's been just like a whole platter of it. Like I've had knee pain, which I never get. I had a UTI. And then now this latest thing, and I want to warn everyone listening, is that I got a really bad cold. Luckily, it's not COVID, but I got a really bad cold over this weekend. I already had to schedule this recording with Mo once. And we're doing it again today. I'm feeling much better, but the cough is still there. And so I'm going to do my very best to edit out as much coughing as possible. But it's going to be, it's going to be fun. And sniffles um, too. <laughs> so a funny thing is that I finally inherited control of the uh, mouse colony. So that was a parting gift from my sixth house ruler, the sun, being in fall uh but it's a mess <laughs> so it's just a knee like cleaning up the mess and like trying to organize things and so um that was a I guess sort of nice parting gift from the sun we'll see what Mars brings because like I feel like now I'm starting to get sick actually oh, like so like my chest is itchy like I'm tired um but you know it's finally actually cold out up here instead of warm so that's not helping at all oh, it's like cold yeah. and wet <laughs> oh god yeah. yeah i yeah i do feel this this the sun's parting gift for me was this sickness because it was like right when the sun was at that anaerobic degree that this hit so yep. um would not recommend but um, well, I, I mean, other than Mars leaving Libra and entering Scorpio, I, I, I feel like we'll talk, it will come up actually a lot while, as we talk about the Deccans, especially that first Deccan, right? Because um, this Mars is very, very strong with a lot of dignity or will be really strong with a lot of dignity when it enters. But is there anything more you wanted to add to that? Um, no, I think I'm going to save it for when we talk about Scorpio 1. Yeah, I think so too. 
I think the other thing worth noting is the the next big transit on November 5th will be Venus entering Capricorn. I almost said Scorpio. Oh, God. Not again. Capricorn. And it's it's very, very worth noting, noting out of all the ingresses this month because Venus is going to be in Capricorn for over four months because um, Venus mm-hmm. will um, station retrograde in December. So we'll get a Venus retrograde for about a month long, but... It's t- yeah, it's gonna be in Capricorn the entire time, and um, <laughs> Mo's eye rolling right now because you all yeah. Can see that. If I you if you it. thought you were sick of Gemini Venus like last summer, uh, you're in for a surprise this holiday season. So <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be right next to Ca- to Pluto. It's gonna like you know Venus will have just passed Pluto just a few degrees a bit. We'll station retrograde and then pass Pluto again, and then we'll do it a third time once it's direct. I shouldn't laugh because it's gonna be awful, but <laughs> yeah, and that that third time, uh, Mars is there, so it's oh, not yeah. be pleasant. Yeah, I actually, you know, maybe we'll probably we'll probably talk about this like maybe in the Capricorn season, but I do find it interesting that yeah, in February at the point when like Venus is direct, right? so Venus is moving much slower than Venus normally does. Um, Mars is a slower moving planet in comparison, but because that that, that the two are going to end up moving at the same speed for a really long time, like. Both Venus and Mars will be conjoined in Capricorn pretty much through most of February, and then we'll enter Aquarius together in the first month of Aquarius in the first month of March, and that's when Venus will start picking up speed and will separate from Mars. But I do find that transit it's just something that's been on my mind, like just a constant Venus Mars conjunction through the month of February and into March. I feel like that could actually be really um, productive, yeah. surprisingly. So, like, that part might be productive, but, like, it goes out with a bang, so. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, both planets um, do have dignity in um, Capricorn, so I, it, I think I've been looking forward to it more than I have been dreading it, and but it has been coming up even as I've been like either doing elections for clients or doing my own elections. So anyway, that's, that's a ways away. I think the last thing of note, this, um, this Scorpio season is the Taurus eclipse on November 18th. We're now entering Taurus and Scorpio eclipse season. We still have one more eclipse in Sagittarius that comes up after in December but this this is this is the beginning um, of the Taurus and Scorpio eclipse season, and then we're closing out this Sagittarius Gemini season. And so, um, you know, for all of those, all of you who've listened to us for a while, you know that Mo and I have prominent placements in both Taurus and Scorpio. And so, um, yeah, um, and it's it's gonna be it's angular for me, which is like the other whammy yeah that one that one's on my son so um yeah and then the sag eclipse next month we will talk about it um sorry not next month um december December. that one's on my chart that's on my chart ruler so (laughs) 
this this gets me so i kind of want to pretend it's not happening so <laughs> yeah 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 no i mean i don't you know we can't sugarcoat it like eclipses can be um rocky and it's a they're gonna you know they're gonna especially affect people who it's where it's either angular in your chart so that means like if you're a fixed rising like me or if you have prominent placements as mo said like if your chart rulers like gonna be hitting this eclipse or if you have um i i think if you have sun or moon too like natally like hitting the eclipse points i think that will be a big deal and so um you know, I looked, of course I looked all ahead and I don't think any of the Taurus Scorpio eclipses are really like hitting my placements too directly, but here's the, here's the kind of shitty thing about fixed signs is like, um, I think, I think everything's going to hit like by intuition if it's not going to be a direct hit. <laughs> and, and then I also looked at my, my partner is also very strong Taurus and Scorpio and I think it does hit his chart more than it hits mine, so... Same. Same. <laughs> Same. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Um hold on. Yeah, um the one thing is that I do hope that the um condition of the moon like still being exalted like makes it a bit better mm-hmm. and a little less um intense but i feel like it might be one of those like too much of a good thing or like uh you get the thing you wanted but not in the way you wanted type deals Mm. you know actually that that's that's a pretty good segue into this this scorpio archetype and i think this is going to come up over and over again as we talk about the decans that's for sure but is there anything else you wanted to add for transits or any announcements that you have no i don't have any announcements but um I want to say end of November, my book should be open again. Okay, look out for that. I I think my only announcement really is I am going to take a social media break for like the rest of the year after this month is over. So Mo, I I, I even need to talk to you about this because you need to find a way to get a hold of me that's outside of Twitter. So we could continue, we'll, I'll continue, we'll continue to record this podcast for sure. And I, I'm actually going to start having like more time to record maybe other podcast episodes. Like Mo and I have talked about like other topics outside of the Deccans and we are getting like, not super, super close, but we are like a few months away from like closing out like our Deccans season because we started with the Aquarius Deccans. So that's something we should start thinking about. But yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm quitting my job. My last day is at the end of this month. I, don't think I'll be opening books again because I really want to challenge myself to have like a real break for the rest of the year because I've just never had one before and that's going to include a social media break because I do communications um, for a living and I think this is going to be my only chance perhaps in a long time to actually really be off social media because I have to use it for work and I have to use it for astrology stuff or I don't have to but you know so I'm I'm really really looking forward to it, but yeah, that's if you if you see that I'm MIA and like not on Twitter at all, that's that's the reason why. That's actually really great, and like, <clears throat> I think I need to do the same at some point. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, like if anybody has ideas for series we should do outside of the Deccans, that would be great. Yeah, we'd love that. All right. Well, let's just jump into the uh, Scorpio archetype then. So um, where do we begin with Scorpio? Um, I want to start first by just talking about the fact that this is a fixed water sign. And this is um, when I think of when I think of Scorpio and I think of it being fixed water and the fact that this is is a very, very Mars heavy Mars ruled sign. um, And this will come up, especially in the Mars. um, What do you call it in the the first decade? Um, When I think about Mars ruled water, I think about like. It makes me think of just like a steady, like flowing river that's cutting through canyons and valleys over like centuries and millennia. Like, um, and yeah, I think it, this could be tumultuous water sometimes, but I actually really think it's just kind of, I, I just constantly think about this, I guess, just that steady, that mm-hmm. steady and that constancy, just like all the other fixed signs. Yeah, no, I think uh, that's a good uh, archetype. And I really like the concept of like erosion coming up because you know it's like like you said like people don't realize how a lot of um nice structures like mountains or um canyons were formed by the movement of water usually frozen water over like millions of years and so like i think that's a beautiful um way of thinking about the archetype and I, that, on that, I mean, I, ice comes up a lot. Like a lot of people describe Scorpio as like very icy. I think again, because of just the, that's the Mars side of water, right? That this can be, <laughs> this can be a side of water too that can be very martial, that could be dangerous even. And um, yeah, I think um, we'll talk a lot about Mars, but this is also the sign of Venus's detriment and the moon's fall. Um, I I think it's also just worth noting that there is a peculiarity with the fact that Mars is, um, you know, um, a masculine and nocturnal planet, right? Like Mars is mm-hmm. hot and dry. It does better at night, therefore, because it cools down that Mars, right? Um, but in Scorpio, it's in a, it's a cool and wet environment. This is this is very counter to its nature. So it's it it, it, it makes you wonder like, oh, is it stronger here? Is it weaker? But um, no, I mean it, it it somehow works. Like Mars is very strong in this sign, especially in that first decan. And um, but that's where I think a lot of the stereotypes of um, of Scorpio can come up, right? Of like, oh, Scorpios are like sneaky and investigative and mysterious and um, and all that kind of stuff is like, I get, I think, I suppose you get the more undercover side of Mars are here where it's like, yeah, Aries is that just that stereotypical like warrior archetype, whereas like Scorpio, yeah, maybe Scorpio is more like the CIA, FBI. Yeah, the CIA, FBI are like, a stealth warrior or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah so it um i mean i think that like there's more of like a strategy versus tactics that comes up with like the two mars world signs 
compared to each other. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I, um, you know, Venus struggles here too. And that's, that's the same as like Venus also struggles in Aries too, but it's, it's interesting what comes up when you hear, when you hear about Venus and Scorpio, I think the word that you will hear often is possessiveness. And, (laughs) and I, I was, I was married to a Scorpio Venus native for 10 years. So, um, I mean, the relationship stuck, that's for sure. Um, but yeah, I, there is that, that is really interesting to me that it's like, okay, you get that word a lot, whereas you don't really hear it as much when you hear descriptors of Aries Venus. Yeah, no, I think that there's this, like, consolidating nature to, like, water that doesn't come up with fire, because fire wants to move, right? It wants to move things, whereas, like, water wants to settle to a point. And so there's this need for, like, magnetism that, like, I feel the Scorpio Venus has, and it's afraid of loss. So it's, like, there's this need to maintain that which you enjoy even though you realize that all things that you enjoy are like fleeting so i think that's why there's this need and obsession to like perpetuate things you enjoy oh yeah that no that's that that's a great way of putting it and that's gonna come up so much when we talk about the decans for sure and and then i think another thing to know is that the moon is in its fall here which is not something it shares with Aries. It's, um, you know, the moon's exalted in Taurus. And so therefore the opposite sign, Scorpio, it's going to be in its fall. And um, how, like, where do I begin with Scorpio moon? Because I have a Taurus moon, right? So like for me as a Taurus moon, like I feel like Taurus moon at its best can feel the feels, but not get really overwhelmed by them. Like Taurus is a very, again a very grounded and cozy and sensuous sign. I almost feel like I know a lot of Scorpio moons. Like, well, a couple of my best friends are Scorpio moons, and the vibe I get from them is like they feel those same feels like I can feel, but it's like they they almost have to feel it intensely. Like it's not feeling if it's not intense. <laughs> um and i think like it's almost like they're not feeling at all if it's not going to be intense and passionate (laughs) you know like i think of like the fact that they can be overwhelmed by emotion but there's like this um if you think about the moon as like nurturing and like that which sustains you there's this focus on lacking whereas like Taurus is all about consolidating and maintaining what you have maybe like the moon in Scorpio focuses on what's lacking what's missing and not having that which is lacking is like creating this like pain or this difficulty or maybe even like again the obsession with creating something that you don't have or like a conquest to you know um get that so I I really think that that's a huge thing that shows up with like the moon there as opposed to the moon in Capricorn which is you know another expression of the moon in one of her signs of debilitation so yeah Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I have found with like Scorpio moons that 
I think they're fully aware that they can be perceived as too much and I have like many will bury those feelings so you may most people may never ever see that come out in a Scorpio moon but no (laughs) it's there for sure yeah but like you know like whenever they one thing they do well and it speaks to the moon's triplicity there um is you know wearing those negative emotions on their sleeve in times of crisis and it's what makes people maybe drawn to them i think Mm -hmm. one of my really good friends is a scorpio moon and she's got it in her fifth house and she's a preschool teacher and she's like the best person i've ever seen with kids like it's like and a lot of her emphasis she's a preschool teacher and she she builds it into the curriculum like like being able to like teach kids from a very very young age how to put words to their feelings like Mm. it's like actually in their curriculum and i just think it's just like the perfect fit for her scorpio moon in the fifth house because it's like wow like what she's teaching these preschoolers like most adults still haven't learned how to do like being able to say like i feel angry because you know so and so did not share his candy with me Mm -hmm. no but that's great um i'm thinking that i think it's interesting that like the sign also has connotations of like you know poison that which is toxic um and things like that yeah scorpio is um you know based on a poisonous animal called the scorpion and um, you know, I, I didn't think these existed in Hawaii and actually like, just like the day that I was preparing, like we cause we were originally supposed to record this on Friday and I was preparing my notes for this. I saw on Twitter, like someone that I know, his partner found a fucking scorpion in their house and I could not believe it. Like they have somehow made their way all out here in the most isolated landmass on this planet. That's wild. Cause I didn't know they existed there either. So <laughs> now you all know <laughs> you're, you're not safe from scorpions even out here mm, i don't think scorpions live in canada actually let me look this up real quick it might be too cold for them over there now mo is looking that up oh oh they exist <laughs> oh no <laughs> uh, they live in like northern british columbia though so that's not where i am <laughs> oh god we're good over here <laughs> might be too cold <laughs> even for a scorpio up there but oh god well um yeah there there is um poison um yes poison definitely comes a lot a lot with this sign for some obvious reasons but I, I also tie that in with the fact that so the tarot card associated with Scorpio or, um, is death. And mm-hmm. obviously, <laughs> I mean, poison has very much a link with death. Um, you know, the death card, you know, well, death is supposed to be, it's, it's, it's just like fixed water in a lot of ways where it's still, it's a cyclical, it's unchanging, it's constant, right? And, um, you know, when you draw the death card, oftentimes what comes up is the inevitability of change and perhaps whoever, you know, you're doing the reading for, whether it's yourself or another person, is fearing that change. Um, 
And so it, it constantly just begs the question of like, well, how do we face our fears, especially when that fear is something that's inevitable or if it's just like a reality that exists? Yeah, no, I love the death card because um, <clears throat> I mean, a lot of people get stuck on, oh, endings are bad. But like, I think in the original depiction, like whether it's like stressful or not to you depends on who you are in the narrative, right? And it's like if you're a powerful person, like I think it's like a priest who's like being trampled by this like horse that death is riding on like if you're a powerful person that's terrible if you're like a young person you don't know any better if you're somebody who's like lived a little bit of life but still has ways to go you might be scared but if you're like an old person you're like waiting and ready yeah my my scorpio read for the month is actually gonna be i just bought this new book by barbara ehrenreich called um <clears throat> I can't remember what it's called but it's basically the whole book is about um you know her as like she she's a woman in her like mid 80s and she's writing about how like she made the decision decades ago when she was already considered like a senior citizen that um she should have the choice on like how she wants to live like the rest of her life because she has hit this stage now where she's like no I'm I'm in my I'm in my dying days now. Like, I don't want to live the rest of my life having to do all of these, like, preventative tests and, like, just going test after test after test and mammographies and colonoscopies and just all of that stuff. She was like, that's not how I want to go. I'm I'm ready to welcome death whenever death is, like, ready to come there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think that, like, I really like the um, the archetype because it's, like, it doesn't have to be a bad thing. It depends on like where you are in the cycle, maybe who you are when it comes to like having power or not, um, things like that. Yeah. I think, I think regardless of where you are, it is a transformative card. Like that's for sure, because it does, mm -hmm. there is some big change that's coming. And I think it's also, um, this will come up definitely in the next decade because, um, or in all the decades are like his death that just represents Scorpio, but just there, there's like the change is coming no matter what. Like when mm -hmm. you draw the death card, it's like you just gotta. It's weird because like you know, even though like you think of wheel of fortune and cycles, but like I feel like there's this element with Scorpio of like needing to figure out which part of the wave you want to be on when it comes. Do you want to be like? tumbled by it or do you want to ride it effectively and so mm -hmm. that's like the strategic nature of the sign i think mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i like that all right are you anything else on the archetype before we jump into the first decade no let's jump into it cool so Scorpio Deccan 1, this is the double Mars ruled one, and a part of this Deccan's also in Mars's bound, so it's, it's a, this is a very Mars heavy Deccan. It, Austin Coppock calls this the jawbone, and again, he also emphasizes exactly what I'm saying, like that, this is a very, very, very strong spot for Mars, and um, he calls it the jawbone, right, because like, you know, we use our jaws to eat. And he puts a lot of emphasis on, again, this, this cycle of desire, you, you know, you like want to eat something <laughs> or like, I'm, you know, I want to eat cake. 
and then you as you're eating it you get the satisfaction of like eating the thing but you know it's funny because you hit a point where it's like well maybe sometimes you eat the thing and it's like disappointing because it wasn't as good as you thought it would be or actually it was really good but then it comes a point where you know you're done eating that cake and eating any more cake is gonna leave you either feeling full overly full and disappointed or um, you know, you decide, okay, I'm done, I'm satiated, but then you're kind of disappointed that the thing that that's that thing's over, you know. Um, and so he, yeah, he puts a lot of emphasis on just that, that huge hunger, like that desire that like comes with this decan. Yeah. <clears throat> Another thing I like is that um, the moon's maximum fall is in this decan. So, like again, like I was saying their themes about like hunger and lacking and what's interesting about mars and the moon is that they're planets that can be appetitive so describing what you need for sustenance or things that you want to pursue aggressively there are themes of appetite there and so i think it's interesting that like part of the discomfort comes from needing and lacking and wanting you know mm -hmm. and you know, the the tarot card associated with this is the Five of Cups, which um, is called the Lord of Disappointment. And, um, well, first, let's I want to start with the fact that this this um, this this card is ruled by both death, which, as we described earlier, like our Scorpio and the tower. And, you know, of course, leading up to this episode, like I swear in the past week, I've drawn the tower like three times. And I drew death once. So I'm like, fucking great. <laughs> so I'm very, I feel very acquainted with these two cards. Um, you know, like death shows us what we fear, right? Like, as I described earlier, that, you know, there's some kind of inevitability that we're fearing. Um, mm -hmm. The tower, you know, according to T. Susan Chang, is what shows us like why we fear what we fear um i think both cards as we were talking earlier with death um there's an inevitability like the change that's coming regardless <laughs> of what you do how do you ride this wave like i feel like the tower is the exact same way where it's like okay this is this is this is happening like what are you gonna do um right. how are you gonna be strategic about it right and the thing i love about uh t susan's uh description is that she one she calls this the storm of tears which i think is really interesting and then for two, like, um, there's something she talks about where she's like, oh, like, there's the act of pouring out, like, libations for your deceased loved ones or your dead. And um, I don't know, like, I, I really think that that's, like, symbolic. It's like there's this weird uh, quid pro quo sort of thing where it's like, you know, in the quest to get something, you're going to lose something anyway. So, like, maybe leaning into that and, like willingly making sacrifices or like giving um like i know in some religions they will uh leave like a cup of wine or something for like a guest or like you know like dia de los muertos when they um which is actually coming up very soon funnily enough leave out um you know gifts for their ancestors like there's there's also this weird like honoring or veneration of like the people who couldn't come with you or like the things that are over and things like that so yeah yeah i i leave out a cup of water for my ancestors every day i guess i guess i never even really made that connection as to why but i know it's like just a common like ancestral it's definitely common in my culture but 
mm-hmm. I, I hear it's also it's not unheard of in other places as oh, well yeah yeah like and then I really like that she talks about how like a lot of married couples or like couples to be married draw this card a lot because um there's this sense of like leaving yourself at the door so you can join like a larger collective or something deeper um mm. which is interesting that is really interesting yeah because it, it, it is right that you know ideally right i mean well this is my opinion but i feel like um marriage or partnership should be should strike that right <clears throat> balance of like security and having a person that is going to be reliable and consistent but um but you two can also be your own separate people like you two will continue to be individuals like Mm -hmm. you have your own needs and your own lives and all that kind of stuff but but that's to say like I, i again it's a balance like i think there is an inevitability but that there is stuff you have to compromise on there is stuff that you have to kind of give up or sacrifice Mm -hmm. even to enter into a partnership like that for sure for sure um let's see i have nothing else to add but i can read the um i think the other thing i just had to add was um i find it interesting like looking at the card that comes before this the four of cups because you have a man who's got three cups already there's like a fourth cup that burst out of thin air is in his face but there are many many interpretations to this card but i think the one i tend to gravitate toward is like this man has so many cups and then now the one's in his face but it's because he has so many cups where he's just kind of like oh like i don't know like i really want this cup after all like, he's satiated right he's already in that like point of satisfaction where he's like yeah no i don't think i need another slice of cake um, the five of cups is just like a wholly different situation where it's like, okay, you got, he got five cups and now, um, oh my God, I'm blanking on the imagery of the cards. Two that have knocked over? There, no, there's two. three that have knocked over and then there's only two. Yeah, left. there's two left. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And T. Susan Chang brings up that too. She like talks about how like the, maybe the, what you have to sacrifice is like the three of cups so that you can get the two of cups. And she kind of talks about the, the two different cards of the three cups. I love, I loved that, that, yeah, that opened my mind a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that too, but okay. That's, that's all I had to say about that. Okay. Uh, I can read the, the descriptions. So uh, Ibn Ezra says a beautiful woman, her body is red and she is eating. The Picatrix says, a man holding a lance in his right hand, but a human head in his left. And this is a face of disposition, sadness, evil will, and hostility. Agrippa says, in the first face of Scorpio ascended a woman, good of face and habit, and two men striking her. The operations of these are for comeliness, beauty, and for strifes, treacheries, deceits, detractions, and perditions. Yavanajataka says the first decanate in the eighth sign is a blazing man whose staff is fierce to his enemies his sword is drawn, his armor is of gold, his flames fanned by anger. He sports with serpents whose poison is sharp (laughs) ooh yeah like that's um, really intense yeah yeah, that's really only intense. one of the more like consistently intense <laughs> decans. 
so yeah you get the you get the fighting imagery you get the hunger imagery you get the like i'm ready to claw someone clobber someone to you know get what i want right Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah there's very much an intense hunger associated with this decade and i think my my Mm -hmm. last point on it really before we jump into examples is like um you know we're only really disappointed when we care right like when we actually like really really want something and so um i think that will that comes up with this decade it's going to continue to come in when we talk about the other two decades but um i yeah i'm excited about the examples um do you have any that you're excited about that you want to start with I'm going to let you start because I, I, I know you're going to have really good like art examples. So. I'm not this time. Like oh. actually a lot of mine are contemporary this time, but I'll, I will start with like one that's not super contemporary um, because this is double Mars. I want to start there. So Robert Kennedy had his Mars. In oh, he's one of this. my examples. <laughs> is he also one of your examples? <laughs> I wonder if we're going to have a bunch of the same ones for this time. Um, yeah, it's in his seventh house along with his descendant, also ruling the twelfth house. Then, um, yeah, when he he was attorney general, right? He, I, I thought a lot of this Deccan um, or his placement when I thought about um, the feud that he had with the Teamsters union leader Jimmy Hoffa. He created like a get Hoffa squad of prosecutors, investigators, and spent years and years and years really trying to prove that Jimmy Hoffa had ties with organized crime, which he did eventually, like Jimmy Hoffa did end up um, going to jail and he then mysteriously died. And again, a lot of people think it was the mafia who ended up killing Jimmy Hoffa. He mysteriously died um, after that. But, um, but yeah, like there, like, like there was almost like kind of this obsessive, like I have to get this guy that was going on Mm -hmm. with Robert Kennedy. Um, you have anything else to add on him? We're going to use because he has a lot of other Scorpio plays. Actually, pretty much everyone I chose has Scorpio stellium, so it's going to be really funny. No, See? that's interesting. I'm guessing Katy Perry is also another one of your examples because she was. <laughs> I, I did, I did, I do bring up Katy Perry. Yes. Uh, is she? I mean, no, I don't really want to talk about her very much right now. Not for this example. Uh, another example I do have is uh, uh, Margaret Trudeau, who is the father of. Canada's current prime minister and ex-wife of one of Canada's prime ministers. She actually has a first house Mars conjunct the south node in the second. And what I do know about her is that, you know, she's someone who struggled with uh, mental health issues, particularly bipolar disorder. And something that she was known for was being like a very mm, intense, possibly like hypersexual, like type of person so like i think it's interesting that um that characterizes her um and you know because of her like intense like sort of desirous nature like i'm guessing it got her into a lot of um trouble at various points um in her life so i think it's just really interesting that she's this figure (laughs) yeah i actually don't know anything about her that's like a really good example i have a couple like moon examples so one of them was like um justice scalia 
um, former. You know, it's funny. He actually has his moon ruling his midheaven uh, in like the. It's actually at the degree of Mac Ball, so three degrees. Huh. Um, <laughs> I think it's just really interesting because like he was just this very like intense like. Okay, yeah, power hungry person who's like you know very accomplished, but like I think it's interesting how he was not really you know the most well liked person. No. Um. And uh, yeah, no, I think it's interesting. Let me see if I can find like anything really specific, but like with him like the thing that i mean when you said that his his scorpio moon rules that midheaven one of the things he's most known for right he's he's an extreme conservative he you know as a mm-hmm. supreme court justice that means like following the constitution like to the book but yet uh, for my again then my, my personal like interpretation is i've always like found that yeah he 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 talks all this talk about being just like it's just about the constitution of just following the constitution but mm-hmm. i feel like he's definitely one of the most ideological um like judge justices and i actually feel like he is driven a lot more by personal belief than he like really like he led likes on. To admit. yeah exactly yeah and he's like very very like relentless with his like um what's it called his uh criticisms and whatnot like i mean i think he was like more conservative than like even his contemporaries and peers and i think you know that obsession to be by the book as written is very like fixed that's like the very good example of like the fixity of scorpio as a sign um i also just think of the fact that like it's the moon and fall and it's like he's very polarizing as a figure uh, so there is that i have a um well, no, i just lost my examples i have a, another i have some sun examples so frank ocean has his <laughs> son with mercury retrograde ruling the sun's ruling his 10th house and um he you know he, when he came out he came out on tumblr in 2012 this was a first house perfection year for him so again this is activating like all that scorpio and mm. he as he came out and he was sharing about how he had unrequited feelings for another man and that he considers this man his first love um but in that actually was thanking the man for this which i thought was just really like okay like he had that yeah, again just kind of that hunger that hunger and desire came out but him kind of getting to a place where it was like no i'm, I'm thankful for it even though it wasn't returned back is um I think that's actually just a wonderful way to embrace like that five of cups kind of like that loss and like not being able to like fill or get what you want. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty funny. I'm also thinking about um, like another moon example I have is Steven Spielberg. He has his moon um, ruling his ascendant in the fifth house. Wow. And I think it's interesting how like, a lot of his like most successful projects are things that he didn't want to do <laughs> and like you know things that he would probably consider like selling out in a way um especially because you know he had a hard time you know pursuing projects he wanted to pursue so i think that's really um 
interesting. Wow, um, that is really interesting. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that. Yeah. So. I the other the other sun example I had was Drake. <laughs> Um, Drake might come up again, but I mean, he literally, he literally has an album called Scorpion. <laughs> like mm -hmm. this man knows he's a fucking Scorpio and his, um, his son's in the fourth house ruling his first house. So, um, he, he's constantly repping Toronto and constantly repping, you know, his heritage, like being half black and half Jewish. Like he, you know, I think mm -hmm. he really like owns that side of him as well. Um, and, you know, it's funny because he, he's kind of, Drake's been around for a while now at this point. He's kind of a joke now. Like, you know, like recently people, like, you know, he'd come out with some recent tracks and people were just clowning on him about the fact that his lyrics still sound like he's a, a man in his mid thirties now still writing like he's some fuck boy who was like in his twenties, which he kind of is. But, um, you know, I think we forget he actually got a lot of praise early in his career, um, especially from black women for, you know, actually really singing and being open about his feelings and being really, really honest in his music. And I do also think it's really, really fucking funny that we still to this day use the meme, the Drake meme from his hotline bling. Um, oh my God. Video, yes. like again, it's Scorpio is like fixed water. <laughs> Yeah, um, let me see. Who else has a chart where... Hold on. Because there's some good, like, chart ruler in this Deccan examples. I think Kamala Harris has her Mercury. Yeah, she has her Mercury, like, at the very beginning of uh, Scorpio, and it rules her uh, Gemini rising. Uh... Hmm. I mean, hmm. I know now I'm looking at the chart. Huh. I don't know. I feel like her like her like Libra and Sagittarius stuff is a lot louder than like her um, her chart ruler. I mean, all, all it says to me is that, you know, she's like a cop. That's it. <laughs> I know that's bad. <laughs> You know, it's in the sixth house, and it's in that, like, I'm going to get to the bottom of this no matter what, like, Deccan. So, I mean, it's just giving cop. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it just is. I, yeah. um, <laughs> I am looking at the chart now, and I'm... <laughs> So I got to see Kamala Harris when she was on the campaign trail exactly a year ago, actually. Actually, it really might be literally a year ago to the day. I have to, I have to look up. But yeah, actually, I think it was. I think exactly a year ago, I got to meet Kamala Harris because she was on the campaign trail. I was in Reno door knocking because, you know, Nevada was one of those, like, swing states. Mm -hmm. And... um one thing that I noticed definitely there and it was coming up through the campaign trail was her whole thing was like, obviously she's dressed like anyone would be running like a president, vice presidential campaign, right? She's in her like suits and like whatever, but she wears chucks 
like when she's out on the campaign trail she was wearing chucks that day and <laughs> i don't know if it's like is this a gemini rising like why where how does the <laughs> scorpio mercury like fit in on this it's in the sixth house i think it's just like her weird way of trying to like appeal to like the working people because she definitely like really really tried hard to do that in this like rally i was at full of like you know again work mostly working class like, casino workers <laughs> Yeah, no, like, I mean, yeah, and then I feel like, you know, with her, I see a lot more, like, third decan Libra energy, right? Like, that needing to, like, captivate people through, like, giving them peeks behind the curtain, or, like, I feel like she's definitely another one of those people that does that. And, you know, technically that Mercury is combust, so it's really hard to see how it shows up all the time especially because like i think about the fact that the sun rules her third which is like community and she's trying to put together this image of being with the people and down for the people and like in community and in the trenches with people which is very much that like first decan scorpio like in the trenches like strategically um fighting for people type thing but i mean it could be that you know she's been very strategic about the position she's held and in terms of how that's gonna get her like into higher offices and things like that yeah because she's kind of like she's kind of like (laughs) fast-tracked like um because i'm thinking about like the fact that you know she hasn't been the senator like extremely long herself Mm -hmm. and she's already like vp and i have a conspiracy theory that she'll probably be you know our first woman president so oh yeah no i ascribe to that theory as well (laughs) so yeah anyway (laughs) (laughs) my my last example for this decan is sizza so she's got Mars oh in this decan no, in the 10th house. She does. She has it in her 10th house, also ruling her third. Um, you know, again, Mars Mars is physical prowess as well, right? It's athleticism. And so mm-hmm. on top of being a famous singer, SZA was also ranked one of the best gymnasts in the U.S. when she was in high school. A lot of people don't know that. Yeah, I know. It's just like, how does all this talent end up culminating in like one person? Like she's extremely athletic, um, but she's also a really amazing musical artist. And, um, you know, I think she has all the, so she has a bunch of Scorpio placements in her 10th house. Um, you know, in kind of just stereotypical Scorpio fashion, she's actually not very public about her private life. Like you actually, it's kind of funny because Drake tends to be a lot more open in his songs about like what's going on with him. They, the, the two of them actually used to date and he was the one who fucking revealed it on a track. And then like, of course, everyone was like, is it true? And then she like had to admit it that, yeah, they, they had briefly dated. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the last thing I want to make a note about with SZA was she tried during, in the middle of the pandemic, she tried, I don't know if it still exists, but she had launched the hotline that she called 1-888-808-0-CRY for people to call if they ever like wanted to cry. <laughs> uh, wow. I, I didn't know that. Like, that's, that's wild. Um... 
Let's see. I have some other examples I like. Um, let me think. Let me think. So one thing I can think of is just like Carl Sagan, who has like Mercury and Jupiter conjunct in this decade in his seventh Ooh. house. And I think of the fact that, you know, Jupiter rules like the 11th house. Um, and, you know, like it's all about educating people about like the cosmos and like the mysterious vast unknown, right? and how he got awards for this show that was really popular that he was like obsessed with you know um space and like deep exploration and things like that even though like something that i noticed with placements in this first decade is that they can kind of be a little like extreme is not okay extreme is a good word <laughs> like mm-hmm. even though like the show was really popular and like people really liked um learning about science because of um Carl Sagan like not a lot of his ideas were like accepted by other scientists and like you know I, I think at some point he tried to like um what's it called he tried to like get um positions at like institutions like Harvard and things like that and he was like ultimately rejected but like I guess he like persisted like there's this persistence and so like he's persisted to like you know go into this area of research that a lot of people are not interested in and like you know to bring it to the masses and make it enjoyable and popular for other people so I felt like that was pretty loud but he's also like a giant Scorpio stellium so it's pretty funny Yeah. You know, one of, um, like, Neil deGrasse Tyson is, like, was heavily influenced by Carl Sagan, right? Like, Carl Sagan just has, like, a, um, a legacy that's, like, really, really strong that I think is also can mm-hmm. be a testament to those Scorpio placements. But there's no chart for Neil deGrasse Tyson. I just try to look it up right now. But the fact that he was born on October 5th just makes me think he, he probably has Scorpio placements, too. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um... So the poor, the poor guy. The that your example did make me think. I mean, I do have a, I do have a Mercury, um, in Scorpio example. Um, so Michel Foucault has um Mercury and his ascendant in this decan. So it's all like again, he's another Scorpio rising. Um, and I think just the fact that like, I mean, he's a he's a philosopher with a number of different theories, but I think the ones that have um. I guess I get maybe this is my personal opinion, but I think the one he's most famous for is about the um, he he's written a lot about like how discipline and punishment have evolved over time, um, and it's gotten really really linked with like the modern day prison system as well as modern day policing, and um, he talks about like you know he 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 came up with the whole con- conception of the panopticon of like power functioning in a way where it's like it's like the centralized invisible power that like um you know kind of like he comes up with the image share for like imagine like a prison cell where it's like the um you know the prison watcher or whatever the prison guards are like in the middle of it and can view all of the cells that are like kind of in a circle around it but i um <coughs> um He's he's left a really big legacy, I guess, for just like anyone who studies like um, the prison industrial complex and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't like any of my other examples. 
No, I don't like them. I mean, okay, a fun one is just thinking, okay, I have two actually, or three. Okay, so like, obviously I love talking about the royals, mostly to drag them. <laughs> so I think it's funny that um, Prince William, Duke of Cambridge, has his uh, chart ruler Jupiter in the second, in the 12th house. And I think it's funny how like, um, he's somebody who has a lot of like power behind closed doors to make things happen. And I think of the fact that uh, the Jupiter is training his son and the sun rules like publishing and media and things, right? And so mm. I think of the fact that he, you know, wields a lot of influence behind closed doors to regulate what is published about him or not uh, in media. And he's a very controlled form of his image and things like that um, in an attempt to be king or whatever, um, assuming that England still has a monarchy when that happens. Um, mm. And then, um, let me think, who else on here do I like? And then Adam Driver, I guess. So he is actually a Scorpio stellium as well, but he has Saturn conjunct Pluto in his 10th. And I just think hmm. of how he was known for the role of Kylo Ren. <laughs> I just really <laughs> think of that. Like, I think it's funny that they chose him to play that character. So that felt pretty uh, loud to me. <laughs> <laughs> wow yeah, yeah that is really funny i i always forget about that example um but i do see that come up a lot in astro circles that's funny mm -hmm. yeah okay so decan two yes scorpio decan two. Oh my god i lost my notes and all the tabs okay so um, this one, Scorpio Deccan 2 is ruled by the Sun and Jupiter. Austin calls this one dual distillation. So here's where all that like scorpion poison <laughs> imagery comes up where, um, yeah, it's, you know, two substances combining into one like to, that will feed each other. Like it's like mutually intersecting desire, like two scorpions stinging each other. Um, this is the deck in the Halloween falls in, which is actually this Sunday <laughs> coming up. Um, yeah. It is like the softest um, of the Scorpio decans, like, and and you'll especially see this when we talk about like the Six of Cups, um, which is described as the Lord of Pleasure. I, I see this decan as like okay, like the the previous one, the Five of Cups or the Scorpio decan one, um, kind of deals with a lot of just like that hunger and some of the disappointment that comes when you don't say satiate it, or you satiate it and it's like still not what you wanted or wasn't enough or you know all the things that can kind of come. Um, this decan makes me think of like okay, like you you got what you wanted, um, um, but it also just makes me think the the thing that also gets associated a lot with the Six of Cups is like the um. The nostalgia like that um the there there's just kind of this never-ending constant desire of like nostalgia or t susan chang uses this portuguese word that i don't know if i'm pronouncing correctly like saturday um like even when you're in the present there's a desire for the past and then there is also constant desires or you know sometimes it can be called hopes and dreams for the future <laughs> Right. It's just kind of like the desire never ends, even when you do when even when you are in a good place, even when you do kind of get what you want. 
Yeah, like I really like the weird, like competitive, but also like collaborative energy that kind of shows up. Um, but I really like how uh, T. Susan describes this as the golden hour. So like, and she evokes the imagery of uh, Osiris, like basically coming alive again every time the sun sets. Uh, and how um, there's this element of immortality uh, coming through what we pass on to others or exchange, even though our physical form is limited. Um, and then, like, she describes it as this weird time of day where, like, you can get beautiful shadows and reflections. Um, but also, like, she evokes, like, this window where you have a traumatic injury where like treatment will be the most effective so like there's this like goldilocks zone sort of as things are starting to transition out where things like you know like things can flourish or like you can get beautiful or inspiring things so i think that's really interesting yeah I do. When you do look at the Six of Cups, and then you also look, this is sudden rule Deccan, right? So it's like the Six of Cups is associated with the sun and death. Like, that Six of Cups does have that same, like, golden hour glow that you see in the sun as well. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it is, like, it does, even looking at the card does evoke, like, okay, like, it overall, like, does look like a happy, joyful scene, but there is also just, like, um... Like, oh, there's more there's more behind here, right? She like T Susan Chang also goes a lot into like just the flower imagery as well and just like how mm -hmm. so much of um in both the in both the sun, death and um and the six of cups, six you see cups. a lot of those flowers and the associations of flowers with death. I mean one like cut flowers are like you you have now <laughs> um um expedited the death of these flowers, right? But two, like there are certain flowers that actually really do um signify death yeah no for sure uh and how like you know you've like tried to capture like like when you pick a flower you're capturing like like a fleeting sense of beauty right like you're taking that picture in time and trying to preserve it i guess in this particular decan and then that feeds really nicely into what happens in the next one right <laughs> <laughs> yes yes um yeah i i don't know how much else i have to add here my descendant <laughs> is here i don't think it's uh, no i mean no offense to the other scorpio decans i don't think it's the worst scorpio decan to have your descendant in that's for sure um yeah um let's see my my um partner has uh his ascendant here and his north node and his mercury and like it explains a lot about his personality especially <laughs> like the fighting for control of something that you know everybody wants to contribute to right mm. yeah I guess for me, this one tends to come up. I guess just that the, the, the never-ending constant desire um, theme, it, it does constantly come up for me, like, myself as well as definitely, definitely in, like, romantic relationships, but, like, a bunch of other close relationships and, like, 
partnerships as well um the fixed water is i mean definitely there because like i do like you know when i do enter into like whether it is like a like a project or it is like an actual like a relationship whether that be platonic or romantic like um they do tend to last like for a while like the constancy will tend to be there that's for sure no i definitely agree okay i can read examples so um ibn ezra says a woman who has left her house she is naked and has nothing on and she's entering the sea uh the picatrix says a man riding upon a camel holding a scorpion in his hand (laughs) scorpion and this is a face of knowledge modesty disposition of one who speaks evilly to one another um uh, Agrippa says, in the second face ascendeth a man naked and a woman naked, and a man sitting on the earth, and before him two dogs biting one another, and their operation is for impudence, deceit, and false dealing, and for to lend mischief and strife amongst men. And then uh, the Yavanajataka says, the second decanate in Scorpio is a woman with loose hair who is bound with snakes. She is robbed by thieves in the forest. With black body and completely naked, she runs swiftly from a bandit, calling out terribly and surely. <laughs> so there's a lot, there's still a lot of like coveting and trying to get control, but like, I don't know, there's also this like weird merging that happens and mm-hmm. vulnerability that comes up with this mm-hmm. particular Deccan. Yeah. Yeah, I think definitely when I was younger, I think I equated a lot of, like, especially romantic relationships to, like, oh, there has to be, like, that full merging. <laughs> um, I've hit a place now that I'm, like, much older <laughs> that I'm, like, no, actually, like, I actually, actually really, really value both. I do value, like, yeah, really, like, like that, that just real strong intimacy, but also just, like, being our separate selves as well. Because to me, it, it intensifies the intimacy like the intimate moments like when you do have the separateness as well and so i've come to like learn how to embrace that um before we jump into examples like did you i have to ask this question because did you see the debate on twitter like some time ago about like which sign gets tattoos of their sign the most is it leo or scorpion like what did you answer Oh shit! I didn't see that, but if I had to guess, it was Scorpio. <laughs> I I I think I think, I mean, I've seen way more Scorpion tattoos than I have seen Leo tattoos out there. I, for the record, would never get a Leo tattoo. Um, as much of a proud Leo as I am, I'm surprised but... they said Leo. I, honestly, I would say of everybody who has zodiac tattoos, the ones I see the most are Scorpio or Virgo. So, uh, I'm I just saying. I briefly dated a guy who has like a Scorpio, the Scorpio stellium. He actually has, he has his Venus and Pluto in this in the first decade. But um, anyway, he had a gigantic Scorpio scorpion tattoo like on his back, like completely filling up his entire back and then said he didn't believe in astrology Embarrassing. That is fucking embarrassing. Like, <laughs> oh my God out here being a stereotype and like you know what (laughs) 
Oh, and then and then he like in the in this last Mercury retrograde season, I just got a text from him where he was talking about how I'm the only person he's dated who he's ever liked, and I was like, wow, this is some stereotype. (laughs) (laughs) This is some Scorpio (laughs) Venus shit. But anyway, let's go into our chart example. I guess that's one example. Um, give me a second. Who do I want to talk about first? I know. I have a lot. Can I go first? Because I have a lot. I'll just jump into it. No, no, no. Go for it. Go for it. We mentioned Katy Perry, and this is the Deccan. She she has a huge, huge Scorpio stellium, and most of it is in this Deccan. And I, um, you know, I was actually, this, this, I was prepping my notes for this, and then I saw a tweet on, um, Esther Twitter, um, um saying that oh it's it, it, our 1984 scorpios like that like like Katy perry because they have venus and sag and yes i do that thing that's true but i think the other thing really interesting about Katy perry so she's got um she's a scorpio rising so she got all, like she has mercury her ascendant and a saturn moon conjunction all in this decan and um and then the and then she's got sun pluto in the first decan um, she also has a very similar chart to Chris Brennan, the astrologer, just for anyone oh, wow. listening. Yes, um, they're they're born just I think a couple of weeks apart. Um, so anyway, um, her pop music I think is very very Scorpio too. I feel like it just fits the archetype perfectly. She's got that same like bubblegum pop sound, you know, that you hear in stereotypical pop music. But it's got lyrics about kissing girls and like Friday night drunk fest. And I think um, depending on where you're at in life, like the way you're going to listen to Katy Perry, it can be very nostalgic. It could be like right in the moment. But I think it's going to have a nostalgic feel for a lot of people. Just the fact that her aesthetic too, like I think think she's veered away from this like more recently, but especially when she first came out, right? She kind of had... um, like kind of that that, that pinup look was like what she was going for. When you watch the the video music video for um last Friday, um she's got like a that I think it's an eighties. Um she's got the eighties look, but she tries to go like really, really retro. But um but yeah, I <laughs> um I I think I think like just all those placements and Scorpio Deccan too, I think it just perfect it's fits perfectly for Katy Perry. No, I I agree. So like I have a great example. It's Gianni Versace. He has his uh, he has a Venus uh, Jupiter conjunction in this decan in his first house, and I think of the fact that um, so Venus is ruling his seventh, which is also like the derived fifth from the third, so like siblings' children, and then um, it also rules the twelfth house, and I think of the fact that like he was. Um, brutally murdered um, and uh, I feel like one way this showed up is that he was said to have a great relationship with his nieces and nephews and he actually left like I think he left his favorite niece like half of his like um, half of his like estate or whatever like she inherited it and it was worth like 500 million uh, when she turned 18 in 2004 so like that was pretty intense um yeah but also the fact that he was this like huge designer that was friends with like literally everybody 
that feels very Jupiter in its own Tekken. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, I did know he was he was brutally murdered. So like, you know, Filipinos know when everyone's who's Filipino. It's like, yeah, Versace's murderer was unfortunately a Filipino man from San Diego. So it's like, yeah. And he was obsessed. He was obsessed with this guy. Like, obsessed. Well, it is. Uh, I'm I'm looking at Versace's chart now, and um and yeah, the oh yeah, wow, this is a lot of Scorpio. Um, actually, yeah, it looks like um. So we have a chart for his. Um, we have a we have a confirmed birth time for his murderer too, and um yeah, Versace had his ascendant conjoined to this man's Neptune. It's <coughs> pretty wild. Yeah. Yep. I have so many examples for this decade. I'm like, where do Me I too. begin? Um, um, let's see. Oh, okay, so this is a this is a um, this is Sun Jupiter ruled, right? So I have some good um, I have some good Jupiter examples. So one is um, Napoleon. Um, he does not have a confirmed birth time, but his Jupiter is definitely in this decade, and I think it's interesting that he heavily modified uh, model modified. He heavily, yeah, kind of modified, but he heavily modeled his empire off the Roman Empire right like there was a very there was always a there's always had there we have we have centuries worth of like western history of like nostalgia toward the roman empire but napoleon actually fucking made it happen right like he really in just laws and in, in, in so many different ways he really tried to bring back the roman empire um even in art like there's a really famous portrait or painting of him it's portrait yeah it's a painting of him coronating his wife empress josephine um, painted by um, Jacques-Louis David and it's made to purposely look like you know so like an ancient Roman um, it's definitely in that style um, ironically he dissolved the Holy Roman Empire <laughs> so um, but yes I, I thought Napoleon was kind of a good example of this oh I have a, I have a great example so Marie Curie the well-known uh, chemist uh, she actually has a Scorpio stellium, which is hilarious, but she has her son in midheaven in this decan. Um, and she's well known for basically discovering like radiation and whatnot, and the idea that atoms can actually be divisible, um, which is a huge premise of like the development of like uh, nuclear energy and like nuclear uh, related technology and stuff. And I thought it was interesting that. You know, this was something that she got awarded a Nobel Prize for, along with her husband as well. So I thought that was really cute, especially because, like, um, the sun is trying her seventh house ruler, the moon. So this is a cute example. It's too oh, bad that, that the radiation, cute. like, I think the radiation did contribute to, like, her health problems later in life. So... Yeah, I just I just quickly got a glimpse of her um, her husband's chart. It's not a confirmed birth time, but Pierre may have been a Scorpio moon. Yeah, he also may have been like a uh, Pisces rising, uh, oh. with Sun on Elgol, and uh, oh, wow. he. You know how he died? Um, he got into an accident and like he fell off a stagecoach and a horse trampled his head. Oh, so. That felt very literal, and I feel like that's a good birth time guess. In my yeah. Opinion. And if I recall correctly, 
they met in the lab and mm-hmm. she was kind of constantly um rebuffing his advances because i think she mm-hmm. just was just so focused on her work like she mm-hmm. was just like this is good this comes first for me and i think yeah. she had only really agreed to be with him when he made it like when he proved when and you know and really committed to like not you know um putting down her career in any way if they were to get married and if they were to have yeah. children and all of that and it, 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 he held true to his promise she is the more famous of the two um yeah <laughs> yeah uh i have another funny son example so uh i don't know if you guys remember rachel Dolezal. oh god yes oh my god <laughs> she has confirmed birth time yes she does she's a libra rising She's got the sun conjunct Uranus in this decan. And I think it's interesting how she immersed herself, forcefully immersed herself in, uh, I guess, black spaces and secured like roles to like, like influential roles in like a local NAACP. Like that feels very loud to me, just given that um, the sun rolls the 11th in her chart. She literally forced her way and like changed her whole like racial identity and presentation and what have you. Like, it's interesting because like she's also Sag Moon, so I feel like we should talk about her during the Sag episode. Holy shit, that is such a good. That is a crazy example. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh boy. Um, I who else do I have as an example? Um, um. Lord has her son in this decan conjunct Mercury and ruling her eighth house. Um, I, you know, the sun itself, right, is, um, you know, signifies, um, yeah, like authority. It can very much be royalty. So I think it's funny that her first hit was called Royals and her stage name um, is supposed to be a like a Congo feminized version of the word Lord because she 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 admits she has a fascination with royalty just like Mo does. <laughs> yes. Um, but her um, I, I think it's interesting that it's in her eleventh house because um, you know, her mom was a poet who influenced her music and writing, and it's like a big reason why she was like able to get like really big. And I have seen that with the kind of those eleventh house connections. Or 11 house placements, like, leading to, like, kind of those kind of connections. Uh, my last son example is Chris uh, Jenner. She has her son in this decan in the third house, ruling her 12th. And I think it's interesting how, like, she's suspected to leak to um, the media whenever something happens. Like, she, she'll go feed the tabloids, most notably, like, TMZ stories about what's going on with their family so yeah she's she's really like viewed as like the pioneer of doing that like that was not heard of prior to the kardashian era like you know celebrities are constantly running away from the paparazzi and the kardashians do their fair share of it but actually really what we mostly see and again this is very behind the scenes we don't see see this is they really do like feed news to the press like it really has like turned marketing and PR on its head like I remember reading even just like it was like a case study of just like how they handled the news that Kim has psoriasis 
end rather than revealing it you know rather than like waiting for the tabloids to leak it they just like quickly filmed an episode of keeping up with the kardashians where kim talked all about like having psoriasis and how she can deal with it and how to do all the medications like all that kind of stuff uh-huh yep strategic pr like yeah yeah it, it, it worked um, out for her though <laughs> it did it did it really really fucking did for that family um I have another Jupiter example. So, you know, I had said Napoleon has his Jupiter here. So does Henry Kissinger. And his is in the sixth house. It's retrograde. It rules the seventh and his tenth. And, um, yeah, he's known, again, for just being, um, um, you know, like, he's all about, the again, strategic politics. It's diplomacy. It's, like, all of that. He was just, like, so significant in shaping u.s foreign relationships with from everything from like vietnam to china to like the then soviet union um you know he actually hated richard nixon like he talked so much mad shit behind this man's back but he was ambitious as fuck and he went along with it anyway (laughs) and he um you know he actually had to step down so Bush appointed him in 2002, I believe, to be on the National Commission on Terrorist Attacks. But um, he stepped down soon after the appointment because he decided he would rather step down than release his business client list because they have to submit those to check for conflicts of interest. And he was like, no, thanks. So even to this day in his old age, this man, it seems like it's up to some just real shady strategic political and business shit oh yeah i have some good not sun or jupiter examples so i have a couple of mars uh let's see so one of them is martin scorsese who has his he has mars and mercury in this decan in the fourth house what's interesting is he wanted to become so i think of the fact that mars rules the ninth and he wanted to become a priest actually but he failed out of uh the first semester of like the seminary school he was in so he ended up going to nyu for um art and stuff and wow. i think of the fact that mercury rules his uh 11th but also his second and he made a lot of good friends who are now famous directors actually who helped him get his start in filmmaking and uh one thing I think of is how apparently if you read his bio, it was Robert De Niro who encouraged him to kick like his cocaine habit and like to get serious about filmmaking. So that feels huh. very Mars Mercury. Yeah. For him. Wow. Uh, Joe Biden is another <clears throat> Mars oh, yeah. example. Um I just like that's funny because I just pulled up that chart right now. Yeah, I think of the fact that Mars is in his twelfth, ruling his fifth, but also twelfth, and like you know, he lost one of his sons to what he had like a brain tumor, right? I think yes. Mm-hmm. And then the other one has struggled with addiction on and off. So, and I, I mean the fact. Loud. Didn't he lose a daughter and his, like, first wife in a car accident? Mm, like, yeah, that's true. 20s? That's true. Yeah. 
I I know about, I think Chris Brennan uses Joe Biden a lot in examples about, or in Zodiacal releasing examples, because it does seem like every time Joe Biden gets some kind of like big career success, um, like I think at the time, I believe he had won the Senate seat in his 20s, like soon after. Mm -hmm. It's like, unfortunately, some huge tragedy befalls on him. Yeah, like, so I'm kind of like side-eyeing his chart lately because it's like that mars is getting a lot of activity yes and i'm just like "Mm, please stop (laughs) yeah Uh, i think other than i mean i have i have some other examples but i'm not really like i guess i can just make quick mentions carl sagan Carl Sagan is another like sun in this Deccan, but he has like a sun conjunct Venus. So again, him popularizing, uh, you know, like science and things like that. But I also think that there's like an element of he had issues with his marital life because he was so focused on work and like his home life because he was so focused on work that like he couldn't make it work so while he was well loved by like people like you know he was constantly getting remarried <laughs> um and then um you know he was a polarizing figure within the scientific community like, mm. because he was popular mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah i just remembered too with carl sagan like he another thing he's famous for doing and i i i'm bummed i can't remember the woman's name that like really kind of did the bulk of this work um but they sent up a gold record into space because they were like trying to think of like okay we want to communicate with like extraterrestrial life like let's put together a record and we got to come up with like what's going to fully encompass life on earth here and so Carl Sagan and this woman, and I will, I will find her name. I will look this up because um, I think it's fucked up if we don't mention her. Um, but um, they, yeah, they basically compiled, compiled like everything from like you know pop music to whale sounds to um, it's called the Voyager Golden Record, and um, yeah. Um, so I think that's that's like really they basically what they did is they basically put together a time capsule into a golden record and it's still like has it got sent off to space it's still in space so <laughs> I I think that I think that fits with Carl Zane's placement here in this decade oh for sure 100 <laughs> percent uh I don't have any more that I really like so yeah my, most of mine are just like short mentions i don't think are like too, i'm ready to move on to yeah let's jump to scorpio three so yeah this decade yeah it was the last one last but not least scorpio three this is a Venus and Moon ruled, which is fascinating in and of itself because, as we had mentioned earlier when we were talking about the archetype, Venus is in its detriment here, the Moon is in its fall here, but they both have um, rulership by Deccan in this, um, in these last 10 degrees of Scorpio. So, um, 
Austin Coppock calls the Stuckin the crow, or a crow. I don't know why. A crow, the crow, whatever. Um, and, yeah, and he does also mention, as I just said, like, both Venus and the moon struggling in this sign. Um, and that the Stuckin's about dealing with desires that we just can't simply enact. Um, maybe it's because it's just it's just over you know like it's okay it's already run its course um maybe it was just never there to begin with um it's kind of he just i like the way he put it that this is like an underworld of this 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 duckens about the underworld of desire like what have we not acted on or what do we just need to leave behind he brings up decomposition as well with this deccan that like as we were talking earlier with the cut flowers like those cut flowers um you know, well, we, they can turn into soil. They will decompose and then they will resurrect and potentially bring more flowers. Yeah, I find that a huge narrative for this particular decan is the need to explore, like, what can be built on the ashes of what is no longer. Um, and I really like the emphasis on, like, what deeply motivates people because, you know, it's that which is going to, like, you know, when you break down everything else, like, that's all that's left, right? Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that um, T. Susan calls this mortal beauty. So, like, and I, I like how she talks about fruits and their uh, life cycle. So when fruits are their most delicious, they're ripe. But when things are ripe, they're getting ready to, you know, rot or die. So it's interesting how, like, if you think of over-ripening, you can get, like, things that are too sweet, which will eventually lead to, like, you know, fermentation. And, like, I think of, like, how, like, uh, lots of primates are not different from humans in that, like, they really like sweet things. And so they'll eat, like, a lot of rotting fruit and they'll get really drunk off of it. So, like, I think of stuff <laughs> like that. <laughs> I think it's not just primates either. Like, I think there's reports of birds <laughs> and all sorts of other animals, like. <laughs> really into that fermented fruit i think okay, um you know this it's tasty <laughs> it is tasty and it gives you a buzz so mm-hmm. this um this deccan's associated with the seven of cups which is called the lord of the bosch and this is um susan chang calls this like yeah it, it can be the hangover after like a drunken night of debauchery um and the to me it seems like okay like the ending the ending was already hinted at the Six of Cups, right? Again, with just some of these flower imagery and the nostalgia and some of that. Um, and the golden hour, right? Like, golden <clears throat> hour is just so brief. We know it's going to end with sunset. Um, and then now the ending's here. And there can be a denial of that sometimes. Or, like, so wanting, you know, wanting to, like, keep the party going. Even though, like, okay, the hangover is already setting in. And people are leaving. And this is done. This Deccan also gets associated a lot with illusions. Again, just like like if this is the underworld of desire, like maybe some of it's like stuff we haven't acted on. Maybe it's stuff that just wasn't ever really there, wasn't ever really ours to begin with. Um, but she does mention too, like the bright side of this Deccan too is because of the illusion, like just associated with this. It can also be really great for art and it can be great for magic. So that's like this Deccan at its best. Unfortunately, like escapism and addiction can come up at its worst. Yeah, yeah, one hundred percent. 
Um, it's also like, I like how she says it's a very um, artisanal Deccan as well. So it's like, there's a lot of creation that comes out of it. But like, there may be like a clinging to altered states so that people can constantly generate like new things. So, yeah. I do have art examples for this one. I didn't have ones for the earlier ones, but I do have ones. Um, do I have art ones? I think I do. Yes. Some. Well, more music than art, I would say. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, oh my god. No, I'm just thinking of the fact that we described this as the Lord of Debauch, and one of my first examples is... Uh, bill gates <laughs> wait did you want to read the descriptions oh shit shit you're right you're right you're right hold on but i will talk about bill gates yes i want to hear it mm, problematic okay oh god okay so ibn ezra says this is a dog and two pigs and a big leopard with white hair and various prey animals the picatrix says this is a horse and a rabbit with it and this is a face of evil works and taste and joining oneself with women by force and with them being unwilling. Agrippa says, in the third face ascendeth a man bowed down upwards upon his knees, a woman striking him with a staff, <laughs> and is the signification of drunkenness, fornication, wrath, violence, and strife. And then finally, the Yavanajataka says, the last decanate in the eighth sign is a cruel man wearing a golden suit of armor he's clever in seeking treasure in a hole he wishes to follow a vow that is broken he knows how to use weapons but is tormented having been robbed by his companions yeah (laughs) (laughs) um it's you know like you know the process of no longer having that which is um enticing and trying to hold on to it or like finding ways to move on from it or like something like that there's almost like this denial of fulfilling pleasure or something Mm. in a way i don't know which kind of brings me to bill gates yes (laughs) go for it has um I don't know like I think it's interesting how like he has Venus like in her joy here in her own Deccan which is in charge of his 11th house by the way and his fourth Um, and then it's conjunct Saturn which is like ruling his marriage right which recently just ended and you know the eclipses are going to be hitting all of that stuff the next like couple years and so I don't know like I just also think of the fact that he had an agreement with his wife where he could still see his ex or something (laughs) like it was very strange and like all this stuff has started to come out now that their marriage is over um and I think the next like year and a half will be a testament of how much of that we'll be able to stay under wraps or not I don't know wow yeah Yeah, that's a that's a good one (laughs) god I let me look at my examples. Um, I have let's 
Well, let's start with artists because I was just talking mm-hmm. about it. Um, I have a good Venus and Scorpio examples. So the sculptor Bernini does not have confirmed birth time, but he definitely has Venus and Mercury in this decan. And uh, his statues are out of this world. Like if anyone, if any of you ever get a chance to see any of them in person, like most are in Italy. Um, it's It's like, you look at the marble and it's like it's so real it like almost can't possibly be real (laughs) like like the marble it's marble that he just successfully made look like like skin and like lace like he has like ones where it's like statues are touching each other and you can see Mm -hmm. like the fingers imprinting onto the skin and it's just that it, it is really 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 remarkable to see his sculptors like how the fuck can you do this to stone um, one of his most famous sculptures is the Ecstasy of Saint Teresa. It's li- literally like about a you know a nun having like a vision and an orgasm about like an, an encounter with Christ, and so um, I think it just fits this decan perfectly. Yeah, um, trying to think anything. Uh... Which example do I want to do first? Uh, yeah, I had good ones for this deck in too. I'm also like trying to see which ones I want to do next. Oh, uh, um, do I want to go? I guess I'll go with Marie Curie, who has mm-hmm. a Saturn Venus conjunction, but also Mars here. I think of the fact that Venus rules her children, and I know that a bunch of them also did get uh, Nobel Prizes as well, which is really interesting. So mm. there's like a legacy. I think there were like five total in their whole family, so that's pretty impressive. And I think that's the power of like Venus, Ding, and Deccan, I guess. So I don't know how much of the work was the children trying to preserve like the legacy of the parents or what have you, but I would imagine it was for like similar work. Mm. <coughs> I um... my other artist example is Moon in this decan, and it's um the Renaissance artist Raphael. And Ooh. he um he has his moon and his ascendant in this decan, and he's considered one of the greatest um, Renaissance artists of all time. Like pretty much any 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 of the artists named after Ninja Turtle, or the Ninja Turtles are named after like a top Renaissance artist. So he was one. His most famous painting is the School of Athens, which is still in the Vatican today. But what he was known for was again kind of similar to Bernini where it's just like how his realism was just really something that was just uh, like unparalleled in a lot of ways like again like probably the only other ones who really compare are the other greats like Michelangelo and like da Vinci I think one thing that's really interesting with Raphael was um compared to some of the more eccentric artists um like I guess yeah the ones I just mentioned like da Vinci and Michelangelo like Raphael actually had a really really good reputation he was very very well loved and he Mm -hmm. he unfortunately passed away at 37 which was pretty young even for that time and his funeral was just strongly attended Um, people were really really upset at his passing again he was just really well liked 
But um, I think in the school of Athens, you could again see some of this, like the Scorpio strategicness. I think some of what, I think he was also just really, really, really good at playing the politics. And um, his father was a court painter. So I think he also just knew really well, like what, you know, what some of the inner workings were politically um, and within the artist world. But in the school of Athens, um, one of the things that makes it so famous is he's painted a lot of the artists at the time in the faces of the philosophers. So it's like, including his, he's in there as well. So there's also a self-portrait of him in there, but you could see Da Vinci in there. You could see Michelangelo. You could see all of these other paint artists that he kind of really just like throws in there, which I think is like a really, um, it, it ends up being like a much more fun piece than what it appears to be at first. No, that's interesting. Um, Oh, oh, and the last thing on that piece, sorry, is just like the other thing that it's most well known for is the use of perspective. We take this so much for granted now in modern times, but the fact that he is able to use like the lines of perspective, like if you look at the painting, you can see there's like a main focal point somewhere like way off in the background behind the arches, but it all kind of centers in the middle. Um, but yeah, that that was just something we t- again we take it for granted now. But it was like, oh my god, like no one's ever done this before, or if it had been done, it's been lost for like centuries. Uh, I have a couple of good moon examples. One of them is Bob Marley, who has a twelfth house, I think, Scorpio moon. It should be twelfth house. Yes. And so what's interesting is that at various points of his career. Um, he um like he was like, <coughs> performing with a band and like they i remember they were like supposed to open for another band but like they got kicked off the tour because they were more popular than the band they were supposed to be opening for <laughs> um, yeah i think it's interesting like a weird thing is that uh martin scorsese also has his uh son venus here and he was going to do a documentary on Bob Marley but he couldn't because of scheduling issues but I thought that was interesting because they both have their luminaries in this last decade which is interesting um, and then what's interesting is that Bob Marley is like really popular but a lot of people don't understand him and like there's this so one critic commented that there was this pacification of who he was as a person probably because his albums became more spiritual and vibey over time but it's like he was a very political person and used, you know, music to communicate the struggles of that a lot of, um, you know, mostly black and indigenous and colonized people can all like relate to, right? Mm. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's really interesting how his legacy sort of lost its fangs. But um, mm-hmm. it still carries on. And then um, I have Miles Davis, who has his, um, I think his moon conjunct Saturn in the sixth house. Yes. And a lot of, it's conjunct a lot of fortune as well, or with a lot of fortune. And um, what's interesting is that he was someone who was like technically Juilliard educated, like in terms of his wow. like music. But, like, he didn't, like, finish the program because he was, like, too busy, like, chasing his, like, idols. 
um, you know, through New York City to like go and perform with them because he was like tired of learning like the standard like typical white stuff, quote unquote. Wow. So I thought that was pretty <laughs> interesting. He's like good for like music theory, but like I don't want to focus on this brand and like you know he's chasing all the cool artists through New York City, and it's funny because he's like one of the best regarded. Um, trumpet players and jazz musicians of all time so Mm. yeah I have another quick moon example I came across this one by accident because I thought like I saw the guy's name and I thought it was an artist it's not his name is Marcel Chevalier he was actually France's last chief executioner so he has his moon in the fourth house it's void of course and at the anoretic degree and it's ruling his 12th and he um this is you know france was only doing executions by guillotine up until they finally just completely got rid of the death penalty and so this man was yeah basically operating the guillotine um did the last executions for france in 1976 um and this was as venus conjoined uranus in scorpio one um and this happened during his eighth house perfection year so it's like um a lot of and and that's where his pisces sun is ruling his ac so um death in a lot of ways i mean it's like literal death as well as the death of his career he like just kind of didn't do really like much else after that but that was a very random example i came across yeah no i think it's also interesting how like um a lot of people with like drug problems do show up in this particular decade. So like John, um, so like with Bob Marley again, weed. Miles Davis had like a heroin addiction, also mm-hmm. alcoholism. Um, Martin Scorsese had a huge problem with cocaine, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, I do want to talk about him because he has like a Venus Kazemi in this decade, mm-hmm. in his fourth house, and so I think it's interesting how a lot of like. His most notable films, like, started by depicting elements of, like, you know, the Italian-American struggle he grew up in. And so I thought that was pretty um, loud that that, you know, springboarded a lot of his, like, reputation as, like, a um, filmmaker. Mm. And, like, you know, the grittiness of it and, like, glamorizing, you know, like, elements of, like organized crime and mob life and things like that (laughs) i have a um have another good example of someone who does similar films (laughs) um and also has placements here so francis ford um um, oh my god coppola (laughs) um yes yeah yeah, his, he has his son here in the 11th house along with his midheaven and it rules his like seventh house. Um, and um, yeah, um, the Godfather is about a man who's simultaneously running from his past while also clinging on to this very youthful dream of not ever being involved with the family business. And as we all know how it ends, no, he ends up being in the family business. Um, Apocalypse Now is also another one of his movies that is, um, it's very dreamlike and the filming itself had so many issues because he became obsessively 
um, he became he became obsessive about wanting the, the film to be as real as possible. Um, it was filmed in the Philippines, and it was so damaging to like the local people and the local environment that mm. there's actually a book written by a Filipino, a really famous Filipino American author called Dream Jungle, <laughs> that's based off of like the filming of Apocalypse Now in the Philippines. Like just the constant oh, wow. like you know he wanted things blown up. He wanted to use like a real fucking tiger. He wanted um oh my god i'm blanking Mm. on um on the name of the main character's actor like he wanted him actually drunk and like high in certain scenes and like yeah Mm. it was it was it was extremely destructive filming of like what turned out to be just what's considered one of the best films of all time but like at what cost yeah that's interesting like this is a different example because it's chris jenner she has saturn and venus (laughs) in this decade and i think of the fact that she's like arguably like fucked up her children by like putting them through this like reality tv like rigor thing like not so much the older children but i mean like kylie especially yeah because you know they've been filming since they were really young and how she's gone through all this like plastic surgery and whatnot to like I was going to mention the plastic surgery, like the literal, like physical Mm -hmm. transformation of her children because of this, Mm -hmm. because of this industry. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's profitable, but again, like you were saying, at what cost? Mm -hmm. Um, Um, Just a real quick, because you you had mentioned the drugs earlier. But um, with Frank Ocean, mm, yeah. um, I mean, I don't know how much problems he has with drugs, but the fact that one of the songs he got really famous for in the beginning of his career was Novocaine, <laughs> Novocaine. and he, yeah, and he has he has Venus in the first house, ruling his seventh and twelfth <laughs> in this in this decade. Uh, let's see. I have Miley Cyrus as an example. Oh. Um, she has. Uh, Pluto, the moon, and Mercury conjunct in the second. I think it's interesting how, like, a lot of her singing now is, like, characterized by her raspy voice, which I think she's damaged with, like, what, smoking (laughs) and whatnot. But also how a lot of her, like, musical transformation or just public transformation has centered around, like, what's going on in her relationship. And most notably, her relationship with, uh, what's his name? Liam Hemsworth. The, yes, Liam, the other Hemsworth. The other Hemsworth. So, um, <laughs> yeah, like that felt very um loud to me and how like, you know, that whole relationship even though it was like that was like almost a decade, right? Even though On it was and off, off, yeah, I think so. Like damn how that like somewhat defined like what she did or didn't do with like her music career was really interesting yeah Um, yeah yeah that's a good one Um, what else do i have i also have i have another venus and scorpio one so um or scorpio three but chrissy teigen (laughs) has her venus um in the again in the first house there's a lot of scorpio rising examples i have but yeah she's Mm -hmm. also scorpio rising it's in her first house along with her ascendant 
ruling her seventh house and twelfth house, and you know she actually recently got canceled for bullying um, Courtney Stodden back in twenty fourteen, and um, and I think the other thing about Chrissy Teigen is like look like she she has made a name like for herself, so I do not want to downplay that in any way. But she was initially known as John Legend's partner, and their relationship still to this day is, like, very, very high profile. Like, they're very much, like, you know, like, one of those, like, high profile celebrity couples. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I mean, those are all the examples I have, like, that I really want to talk about. <laughs> I think so. I think those are also all of mine. Yeah, I think I got through them all. Oh, yeah, but, like, I'm really excited to talk about um, Sag next month, because it's um, quite an energy departure, I would say. Yeah, I I am too, because I think out of all the Deccans, I think it's actually, the Sag Deccans are actually the ones I've explored the least, because I actually think I draw the cards associated with those decans the least so but i do have my saturn in that second decan of sag so i'm excited to learn yes i have my chart ruler and my sect light there so i'm super excited (laughs) oh boy yes all right well um yeah we'll see you all next month good luck with I guess everything from taurus eclipse season to all the other transits happening Yeah, keep us updated, guys. See ya.